Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 160. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the divisional weekend. We had some interesting games, you know, and some not-so-interesting games, um, but here we are. We'll break them all down. We'll dive in to the championship games in the AFC and NFC coming up in a short time here. Uh, we were shooting for Friday this week, but there were no games on Saturday, so we're going late Saturday evening with the episode. Hope you all don't mind. If you do, my apologies. And as always, if you want to voice any concerns or notes or criticisms, comment section if where you're listening has them, or if not, social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. So here we are. We're going to get started, just like every other episode, with my standout seven. I think it's going to be six this week, though, you know, it is what it is. We're running short on topics, obviously, as we're running short on teams still in the postseason. So we'll keep it chronological, at least to get started here. We'll start number one in the standout seven, the Jaguars versus the Kansas City Chiefs. And there's one big takeaway, and... It's been discussed ad nauseum throughout the week, and it is the ankle injury to Patrick Mahomes. But we'll go straight through this game just to play fair. Um, you know, realistically, 17-10 at halftime is respectable. Jacksonville loses this game 27-20. They really would have had to grit it out to win this one. Um, Trevor Lawrence didn't play tremendous. He didn't play extremely poorly, but he didn't play tremendous. The running game was there in spurts for Jacksonville. I would say they didn't really lean on it as much as they could have, considering Kansas City did not run up the score in this one. Um, you know, 22-30, a buck 95 for an injured Mahomes. A really high-quality drive from Chad Henney and the bench squad. Uh, and by bench squad, I mean just him and the starters. But the big story, Pacheco, 12 carries for 95 on the ground. That's big. That's big, and we've seen throughout the year, you know, flashes and spurts where they'd rely on him realistically, but here they are in a big situation where, oh, Mahomes might be hurt, and they're really going to lean on Pacheco, and I think he's earned that trust. Uh, 11 carries for 25 for Jarek McKinnon. Not the best, not the best, but some, you know, there's some athleticism in this Jacksonville front. It's not, not the best matchup either, especially considering once you know Mahomes is hurt, you can shift your defensive game plan a little bit. Um, whole bunch of catches for Travis Kelsey, 14 for 98 and two touchdowns. Had a Juju Smith-Schuster sighting, some Kadarius Tony out there. Realistically, nothing that concerned me from Kansas City moving into the championship Sunday. But, obviously, the injury to Mahomes is the big factor. And we'll, we'll move into something like this for... Uh, a lot of these teams that are going home. We discussed it with a couple of the teams last week. Just kind of a retrospective on the season. We're not going to go too in-depth because we've got the offseason to go through that. But realistically, I find it tremendously hard to be disappointed in anything if you're a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. If you're a Jaguar fan, if you're someone in the front office, you ran into the one seed in your conference. You ran into a powerhouse team led by a powerhouse quarterback and a Hall of Fame head coach. And your quarterback, who is in his second version of his rookie season with a new coach who's in his first year there, put up a good fight. This is an overachieving season for them. And I think, much like the New York Giants, who we'll talk about in a sec, they should be very happy with the way this turned out. And 
if you're a Jaguar fan or a Trevor Lawrence fan or, you know, whoever rooting for someone in the AFC South, it's a possibility this team could be in the mix in the years to come. Lawrence isn't going anywhere. Doug Peterson isn't going anywhere. This skill position group can only get better. I'm not saying they're awful, but Zay Jones at this point in his career, not a number one wideout. Same goes for Christian Kirk, which is what I said when they signed him. Uh, Evan Ingram had a decent year for them. Is he their guy at tight end? Perhaps. He's still got the athleticism, right? Maybe he's turned the corner being outside of New York. On the defense, you saw some big contributions. You know, Rayshon Jenkins, guys like Ola Kuhn. Um, they had the top draft pick in Trayvon Walker. You know, Josh Allen's still there. There's some athleticism on that side. Like I said, Kalevon Chason is still there. Hasn't really developed the way we all thought he would, but you hit some and you miss some. Um, Jamal Agnew on the special team side on the kick returns, three pretty big or sizable kick returns, average of 40 a kick return here, um, really did it. Riley Patterson looks pretty good at kicker, you know, we're digging deep into the depth chart here, but it is an overwhelmingly successful season for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and honestly, the most successful season they've had in quite some time, so it'd be pretty hard to walk away from this season with anything but a smile on your face if you're rooting for the teal and black down in Florida. Number two in the standout seven, let's talk about the New York football Giants, the team that ruined my perfect postseason. Now, I will point this out later as well, because I will toot my own horn. That's, I mean, it's a one-man show. I have no choice. We picked the postseason bracket, so to speak, in advance, prior to wildcard weekend. I would like to point out that entering Championship Sunday, we are 10-0 in our picks from that episode. That is episode 158. We flipped on two of them last week, and they cost us. We got both of them wrong, the first of which, the New York Giants, the latter, will be our next topic, the Buffalo Bills. Um, yeah, this was, a, this was an underestimation by me. This was... This was... Uh, Getting caught up in the storyline a little bit, and and realistically, I mean, I was tooting the horn of the Philadelphia Eagles all season long. If you've been around, you know. If not, feel free to go back through. Prior to Jalen Hurts' injury, I was calling the Eagles the prohibitive favorite in the NFC. Um, They were the best team in football, and this past weekend against the Giants, they showed that they still are, realistically, a top two, three team in football. I don't know. Because San Francisco's playing great, but that Eagle team looked tremendous. Bengals look pretty darn good themselves, though. Um, takeaways on the Eagle side of it. I mean, Jalen Hurts didn't have to do too much. He throws for a buck fifty in this one. He runs for thirty-four. He had a great game. Um, Kenny Gainwell winds up running for a buck twelve. Sanders runs for ninety. They look tremendous. Devontae Smith. This this thing with the Giants not getting Devontae Smith is going to haunt them. And it's, it's the same way I felt when they didn't get Chase Young, but Chase Young obviously hasn't. He's a great player, but it hasn't haunted them as much, I would say. I feel like Devontae Smith scores a touchdown every game he plays against the Giants. Because I was watching on draft night as a native New Yorker, as I've mentioned for the 7,000th time in this series, uh, or in this show, I should say. I was sitting there like, whoa, the Heisman Trophy winner is going to slip down to the Giants? How can you not take him? And then, of course smarter than the New York Giants front office, at least at the time, the Philadelphia Eagles, make a move and pick him up. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's tremendous. A.J. Brown didn't even have to do any heavy lifting in this one. Three catches for 22. Like I said, not a lot in the passing game. 
it was really dominant defense by the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, they give up seven points in this one. Danny Dimes goes 15 to 27, a buck 35, a pretty bad interception. He was baited into by Bradbury. Um, on a, actually, was it? It was like half baited, half just not a good throw. Barkley goes nine for 61 on the ground. He touches the ball 11 times for 82 yards in this game. And I mean, if you told me pregame Barkley's only going to touch the ball 11 times, I'd tell you the Giants are going to lose. Um, and they did. So <laughs> here we are. It's the never-ending battle. And I don't know if I'm. I, it's, I from the Giants fans I know. I'm not the only one screaming this from the mountaintops, but the common denominator is if they can get the running game going and give the ball to Barkley, they can do their thing. And in this game, considering the defense, I mean, it was 28 nothing at half, y'all. Like, <laughs> defense didn't do them any favors. Um, realistically, they couldn't get him involved. And the receiving core is plucky, and they've got some talent, but... It reminded me of the way back when game against the Green Bay Packers at Lambeau after the boat trip where the leading receiver was, I don't even remember, it was a, either a fourth or fifth wideout because nobody that was a name showed up. Richie James, pretty good player, but he had seven catches. The rest of the team had eight. Um, I mean, Isaiah Hodgins, one catch for three yards. Darius Slayton, one catch for four yards. That's not going to get it done. Uh, where's Kenny Galladay? Oh, we don't even need to play that joke anymore, yeah? Um, similar to the Jaguars, but different, I would say the Giants had a tremendously successful season. The reason I would say the Jaguars have a more positive outlook is a couple of factors. A, Trevor Lawrence is not as far into the free agency cycle, right? Daniel Jones had his fifth-year option declined. He's going to be hitting free agency. And the Giants believe they've cracked the code and figured it out with Daniel Jones, but we'll see, and who knows how the negotiations will go. Trevor Lawrence has more time. He's got another three years because that fifth year is almost certainly getting picked up. The other thing would be Jacksonville has a Super Bowl winning coach, which brings stability and it brings attractiveness to free agents, I would say. Just by default, while people like Dayball, he might well win coach of the year. It's not at that level. And we haven't seen him as a head coach achieve, you know, the mountaintop, so to speak, that Doug Peterson did in Philadelphia. Um, additionally, some of that athleticism I mentioned with Jacksonville is just not necessarily present with the Giants. Their receiving core has some contributors. I like Darius Slayton. I always have. Isaiah Hodgins burst on the scene, and he was adamant after the game during the week that he'd, he'd love to come back to the Giants, perhaps on a multi-year deal. Richie James looks like a pretty good cog in the wheel, so to speak. Barkley's going to be a free agent. Dexter Lawrence, who was arguably the best player on this defense this season, is coming up on free agency eventually. Um, who are they going to sign? I don't know. Where are they going to try and plug some of the holes? The secondary didn't look tremendous in spurts this year. The receiving core looked worse quite often. So it's a successful season, Giants fans. You can keep your head up, but realistically, there are still a lot of question marks revolving the future of the New York football Giants as we sit. And by the way, I mentioned we touched on some of these last week. I can go through some of the ones we didn't touch on. I talked about Seattle, tremendously successful year. Chargers, I said it was a step up, but it was also a disappointment. Miami, we talked about. Actually, I think we might have touched on everybody. Vikings was... The Vikings are a tricky one, though, because 
you take a look at the run they were on during the regular season, you're like, oh, they're a title contender, and you get bounced in the first round with an aging QB, and your star wideout doesn't do as much as you'd like him to, What, whether it be because he was getting out-schemed, you know, coaching-wise, or he was getting double-teamed, or just not getting open, I don't know. Um, that's a weird one. I would say all the teams eliminated in the first round, not all of them. Seattle had a great year. Miami had a weird one because of injuries. They can't really get too mad. Chargers got over the hump, but, I mean, you blew a huge lead. Minnesota lost at home. That's bitter taste in your mouth. Baltimore, what can you expect without Lamar? Come on. Let's be real here. Disappointing taste in your mouth because Lamar wasn't out there for the biggest games of the year for the second year in a row. Tampa Bay, complete chaos. Is Tom going to be back? I mean, we're operating under the assumption, no, but I don't know. They get rid of Leftwich. They've got Bowles. If Tom's not back, I do not think Bowles will be the coach at the end of next season because they will not be good. (laughs) And if they're not good, they'll move on to somebody else. They'll draft a young kid. But uh, that's wrapping up a couple of teams we passed on last week, I think. Or if you missed last week's episode, I'll fill you in. I'll save you the 58-ish minutes um, of your time as we're pushing into late Saturday evening into Sunday morning here. Number three in the standout seven. Let's jump back over to the AFC side. Let's talk Bengals-Bills. Man, this, uh, you know, when I... I picked them, and I'll make this reference over and over. So if you really, if you missed the Super Wild Card episode, I will fill you in on every detail eventually if you listen through the rest of the playoffs. I said that I thought the difference between these teams was Cincinnati was willing to run the ball. I didn't say Buffalo couldn't run the ball. I said Cincinnati was willing to run the ball. Cincinnati, in this game, 34 carries for, what is this math out to? A little bit of quick math in my head. 172 yards. 34. They're playing in the snow, by the way. Okay, tremendous. You're forced to run the ball in the snow. Well, how many times did Buffalo run the ball? Oh, 19 times. 19 times for 64 yards. Yeah. That, that sounds like Cincinnati won the game. I mean, look, realistically, if we're talking rushing attempts for teams... Unless it's Tennessee, the team that ran the ball more probably had the lead at some point, right? If we're being realistic, Uh, it's not a Houdini, you know, or deep analytics stat here. But coming back to what I was saying before, Cincinnati's willing to run the ball. That gives balance. And you saw early in this game the little fake bubble screen that ended in the touchdown to Hayden Hurst. That kind of creativity, Buffalo didn't have it. They didn't have it this, uh, this game. For whatever reason. And you see Stephon Diggs frustrated tremendously after the game, after another exit prior to, you know, at least a Super Bowl appearance for a team that was the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl entering the season. They stomped out the defending champions in that opening game. By the way, can we can we be realistic here? Can we talk about how unfair of a matchup that was week one? Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? And look, I know some of them have been tight matchups and you want it to be a good game. But you give the defending champs the prohibitive, prohibitive, excuse me, favorite, the gambling favorite in week one. Oh, well, they, they could have played him in the Super Bowl if, you know, if they, if there was another overtime rule and blah, blah, blah. Well, you didn't make it to overtime this time. You lost by three scores at home 
in the snow. Yeah, not great. And uh, it did not seem the Cincinnati Bengals were very enthused or, uh, you know, took lightly the idea that the NFL was starting to sell tickets, which, by the way, they have to. You have to sell tickets in advance. That's how you sell out games. Um, They were selling tickets to a potential Bills-Chiefs neutral site game. I said this from the outset. I don't know why this game was a neutral site. The Bengals win 27-10. They were in control of this game for the bulk of it. I think if this was neutral site, the Bengals win even easier. I don't know. You can make the argument that the Bills are built for the snow worse than Cincinnati. I wouldn't say that you're wrong. But at the same time, I mean, come on. Come on. Um, I don't know where the Bills turn from here. We go through some quick notes from the game. I mean, DeMar Hamlin was there as predicted. You'd think that that would have given them a little boost, but no. Cincinnati, 7-0 right away. Hayden Hurst touchdown we mentioned before, 14-0. Eventually, Buffalo makes it 14-7, right? We have a Jamar Chase touchdown overturned, which I just simply called shenanigans on at first sight. They said that the ball jostled a little bit. All right, I'll give it to you. 17-7 at half. Um, You know, it's... It got weird in this one. It really did. And later in the game, we have a Josh Allen fumble overturned. And I don't know. They just didn't get enough going offensively. And realistically, I'm not saying Cincinnati's defense is the best. You know, they're not the 85 Bears, but they've done this before. They shut down in the second half of that game against Kansas City last year on the road. They shut down Kansas City again and again and again to get their offense in the game. So if you're going to give their offense leeway and they're going to get the lead, it's going to be real hard to come back against these guys. It's going to be – and look, I'll give you a little teaser as we're moving forward. It's going to be real hard for me to stick by my initial pick, which was Chiefs-Niners. And part of that is just the way that that Cincinnati looks right now, but it's also obviously the Mahomes injury. It's hard to pick the injured fighter, so to speak, going into a title fight. Um, especially if you know in advance, that is. Taking a look at Buffalo's season, a little retrospective. It was a failure. And perhaps this is the New Yorker in me, perhaps this is the New York Yankee uh, mindset or grind set, if you'll use the modern term. But you were favored to win it all. You were not the one seed due to happenstance, right? Which is fine, it's whatever. But then you still got the biggest game of your season at home and you lost. And it wasn't close and you can't blame the rules and you can't complain to the competition committee. You got outplayed straight up by Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And will there be some rolling heads in the coaching staff? I'm sure, because usually there are when teams don't accomplish their ultimate goal. And it's, it's not a shenanigans way where you can complain about rules and this and that. But... Like I said, realistically, this is a failure of a season. If we went through and graded, you know, you're not going to give them a failing grade like an F, literally, because they went out and won all those games in the regular season, but they don't give you pennants and banners and rings for regular season accomplishments. Well, Nick, technically, you can hang a division winner thing. Yeah, nobody cares. Nobody's going to celebrate you hanging a division winner pennant. It doesn't matter. You didn't even make it to the championship game. 
again. Again. Yikes. Yikes, Bills fans. I don't know where you can improve this team. I mean, Von Miller going down was a huge one. I tend to think he would have been a factor in this game. But where can you improve? Josh Allen is a top 10 at the least, likely in most cases, a top 5 NFL quarterback right now. What, are you going to go get a running back? Why? You don't run the ball. Well, what's the difference? Devin Singletary is a competent running back, and James Cook is pretty good too. If you're not going to run the ball, it won't matter. Dawson Knox is a pretty good tight end. He's got chemistry with your QB. Stephon Diggs is a pretty darn good number one. Gabe Davis is a great number two. I mean, this kid Khalil Shakir kind of came on at the end of the year. Maybe he can be a, a spark plug that has a great year next year to take the offense to the next level. Um, is it going to be Isaiah McKenzie taking that next step? I don't know. I don't know where you can realistically improve this team. I think they just played their worst game of the season in their biggest game of the season. I mean, you take a look through this season for them. They started off red hot, obviously. You beat the Rams. You beat the Titans. They had that tight loss against Miami. It's not the end of the world. I mean, they beat Kansas City. They beat Green Bay, which looked better over time. They had the weird loss to Minnesota, which wasn't the end of the world. Man, it's uh, it's a tough pill to swallow, Bills fans. Tough pill to swallow. Number four in the standout seven. Speaking of tough pills to swallow, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys doing what the Dallas Cowboys do. And let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers, my pick to win it all, heading to the NFC Championship game. I mean, can you really expect a guy who led the league in interceptions to not throw some picks in a playoff run? Let's be honest. Let's be honest, Cowboy fan. If he was going to turn around in the blink of an eye and stop throwing the ball to the other football team, it certainly would have helped. But, you only gave up 19. Realistically, you just couldn't get anything going. Once Tony Pollard went down in this game, it was 6-6 at halftime, by the way. No, excuse me, 9-6 at halftime. 9-6 at halftime. After, and that was weird, but let's, let's get into this a little bit. San Francisco burned about 20 seconds before calling a timeout on a third down play. Clock management situation under the two-minute warning before halftime. They wind up coming away with a field goal to go up 9-6. They didn't really even get a shot to get much closer. They didn't really get a shot to take one at the end zone. 9-6 could have come back to bite them, right? Could have come back to bite them. And our boy Money Maher went out there, by the way, and made both of his field goals. He did. Money Maher was that dude, right? Now, you can say, well, the blocked extra point. we got to talk about that. Because, realistically, it was inconsequential when it's 19-12. I mean, what's the difference? It didn't change the play call of Zeke Elliott playing center, right? So, once Tony Pollard went down, not like Tony Pollard was having a tremendous game. I mean, you take a look. He had eight touches for 33 yards. Once he went down, I think San Francisco did not fear the running game at all from the Dallas Cowboys. I think at this point in his career, as sad as it is to say, I don't know if Zeke Elliott, I've been saying this for years, by the way, this part, 
that Zeke Elliott's not the best running back on this team. It's Captain Obvious, I know. I don't know how easy it's going to be because they were saying either he's going to be traded or released or whatever to try and ease some of the salary cap stuff. Who's going to want Zeke Elliott as their lead back? Looking at his performance through, what, this year and in their biggest game, he goes 10 carries for 26 yards and he gets pancaked on the biggest play of the year. I'm not blaming him for the pancake, by the way, but it's a fact. I mean, he got pancaked on the biggest play of the year. Um, I don't know. Perhaps there's not as much tread on the tires as you'd think, or perhaps being in a featured back role is not the best for him right now. Maybe he wants to be the uh, Thomas Jones to the Ladanian Tomlinson, if you will, of the old Jets teams. I believe they crossed over. Might be making that up completely. We can go Ahmad Bradshaw and, you know, Brandon Jacobs. I don't think he's Brandon Jacobs. I think he's better than that. But still, realistically, this Cowboys offense which is led by Mike McCarthy, an offensive-minded head coach, and Kellen Moore, an offensive coordinator, who is apparently so good he's getting head coaching interviews, right? People love to complain about Eric Bieniemy not getting a head coaching job yet, and sometimes I brush it off, sometimes I think it's, you know, significant, but in a situation where Kellen Moore, if Kellen Moore winds up with a head coaching job out of this, or would have wound up, I should say, then people would really be angry, and they'd have a right to be. I mean, your team puts up 12 points in a playoff game. Come on, what are we doing, right? Realistically, out of this one, my takeaway, you know, on the Dallas side, I mean, Dak played about as well as you thought he would, maybe a little bit worse. The running game was non-existent. Tony Pollard broke his leg, which is a problem, obviously. The passing game, the receiving core was C.D. Lamb and everyone else. T.Y. Hilton had a catch. Michael Gallup did not look great. Um, This is a guy who at one point was the number two, obviously. Remember when they had Amari Cooper? Then they bring in Lamb, and you're like, oh, wow, it's a stacked receiving core. Can Gallup go somewhere and be the guy? And, I mean, he had no catches in this game. Noah Brown, two catches for 21. Dalton Schultz had the touchdown. I wouldn't realistically blame the Cowboy defense, Because you take a look across the other side of the stat sheet, I mean, Brock Purdy goes for 200 yards, no touchdowns. Christian McCaffrey in this game, by the way, one of the most dynamic players in the league for the last few years, but certainly since being traded to San Francisco, there was a little bit of a revitalization, right? He gets 16 touches in this game for 57 yards. You told me that pregame, I'd say, oh boy, maybe Dallas found a way to pull it off. Elijah Mitchell, 14 for 51 on the ground. Pretty darn good. George Kittle with the catch of the year with the little tip up to himself about four times off his face mask, which really flipped things on its head. Um, Even Debo Samuel in this one. I mean, eight touches for 56 is not going to kill you out of him. It just came down to Dallas couldn't get it going on the offensive side. And San Francisco's defense was just that stout. The pick for Lenore... And then the pick later for Fred Warner. Um, In terms of pass rush, just one sack, guys, out of Ebucam. It wasn't Nick Bosa wreaking havoc with four sacks. It wasn't, you know, exotic blitzes like Dre Greenlaw coming off the edge or or Armstead stunting around the middle. No, it, it was one sack. The Dallas Cowboys couldn't get it going with their passing game and Tony Pollard being gone on top of the fact that San Francisco's got one of the best defenses in the league meant they just couldn't get it going. I don't know how many different ways I can say it if we're being honest here. Um, 
season retrospective, so to speak, for the Dallas Cowboys, I would say it was a failure. Um, not trying to be harsh here. If the Philadelphia Eagles had lost last week, I would also say that they would have failed. Right? And they won the division. They won this division, and they had a quarterback injury, obviously. Um, the Dallas Cowboys were the best wild card team, right? They went out and they beat an aging Tom Brady. They won a playoff game. That should be a success, but I don't think anyone in Cowboy Nation, so to speak, including anyone in the Jones family, would realistically see this season as a success. I mean, they went out and they lost to Mr. Irrelevant on the road. You know, you had Dan Quinn going out doing interviews to get a head coach, and he pulls his name from consideration, and he says he's got some unfinished business in Dallas, and I respect that on a personal level, right? I respect that on a professional level, that he wants to go out there and get things done. He doesn't just want to leave without getting a victory. And I'm not going to take a shot here. You know, I'm not saying he's taking a shot, rather. But he doesn't want to do, ostensibly, what Kyle Shanahan did in Atlanta, where the Atlanta Falcons went to the Super Bowl, they completely collapse, and then he goes, all right, I'm a bounce. Uh, I'm, I'm moving to the West Coast, y'all. And look, I don't blame Shanahan for doing it, but Quinn signed on, got, an, got another foot in the door, so to speak, in Dallas, and he said, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to try and end the drought. We're going to win the Super Bowl. All right, well, you haven't done that yet. He's going to go back out there. I respect it. I respect it. What can Dallas do in this offseason? I don't know. Like I said before, I've heard the the murmuring of cutting and or trading Zeke Elliott. It could free up space. You know, I don't have in front of me the impending wide receivers and or tight ends and or really anybody. I mean, we, we can pull that up if you like, but it's a little early, I would say. Usually what we want to do later, but if we take a look at spot rack, right, upcoming free agents, let's move it to the wide receiver position because you assume that's where the money would go if they were to get out of Zeke Elliott. I mean, you've got Sterling Shepard coming off of an injury, Nelson Aguilar, uh, DJ Chark, uh, an aging Randall Cobb, an aging Julio Jones, an aging Marvin Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster, perhaps, though he has been pretty decent in Kansas City. Who knows if he'd want to stay there? Mac Hollins, off of a breakout year, perhaps, from the Raiders. Sammy Watkins, who's bounced around. There's not an intense amount of talent there, but who knows? Maybe there could be a trade to be made. Um... I don't necessarily think they'd try to upgrade the tight end position, but Mike Gesicki, Dalton Schultz also will be a free agent, so do you want to make a lateral move to a Gesicki? Austin Hooper, pretty good when he was in, I believe, Atlanta. Um, he's coming off of Tennessee. Is it Robert Tunyon? There's been rumors that Tunyon would make a move to the Jets and they would get Aaron Rodgers, but we don't have to discuss that craziness. Uh, at current juncture... The end takeaway for the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm sure the fans all feel pretty similarly. Another year, no ring, same core. How many times are we just going to keep running it back, right? I'm not saying they should tear it apart, right? It wouldn't be necessary to do that, I would say. 
But considering the core that the Philadelphia Eagles have right now, I mean, they might win the NFC. You're going to have to improve somehow. Where are the improvements going to be? I guess we'll find out over the next couple of months. Evidently, the changes aren't going to be in the coaching department, McCarthy coming back, more potentially coming back, and Dan Quinn coming back as well. Number five in the standout seven. We made it through all of the games. So where are we going to go? Well, we've got some coaching carousel updates. Got to keep you guys updated on the news and notes on that end. Uh, Mike Kafka, the Giants OC, secured a second interview with the Houston Texans. It would be intriguing if he were to move on this quickly, but we've seen crazier, particularly involving the New York Giants, you know, Ben McAdoo and things of that sort. Um, Intriguing. Also, Giants defensive coordinator Wink Martindale got his call back from the Indianapolis Colts. Hard to tell where they're going to go with their head coaching hire. I mean, I heard Saturday was still in the running on top of a couple of others, so we'll see. I I don't believe there's a real lead target or uh, candidate at the moment. So no, you won't be getting Peyton Manning on the sideline or in the front office, if that's what you're thinking, Colt fan. Um, Bill O'Brien going back to New England as their offensive coordinator, so swapping out an old New England assistant who came back a second time for an old New England assistant coming back for a second or third time, I believe, at this point. Um, Bill O'Brien, well, let's just say his tenure in Houston didn't end well after the DeAndre Hopkins trade and then everything that went down with Deshaun Watson, but you forget, I mean, they were a decent team. Who knows? This could be a little bit of a return arc, a resurgence for B.O.B., and let's see what he can pull off. And the Jets were in the market for an offensive coordinator, and they said, who was the best and brightest that we saw available who was recently terminated? Of course it's Nathaniel Hackett. Um, The guy who was bashed up, down, and sideways for not having great time management will now join the Jets staff, who have also, on occasion, been bashed up, down, and sideways for not having good clock management. Oh boy, he'll fit right in. Obviously, you know, the the theory with him going to Denver was going to be that that would persuade an Aaron Rodgers acquisition, perhaps. They went Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson did not play great. The team did not play great. The Packers played better. We've heard that a Rodgers trade could be imminent. This is what we referenced before. Could this help facilitate that? I don't know. I mean, you just fired LaFleur Jr. Well, not Jr., excuse me. The younger LaFleur brother, who was the OC of the Jets. Of course, the older brother is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Perhaps he might not be inclined to help, you know, or not be inclined to encourage the front office to trade his star quarterback to the team that just fired his brother. But business is business. You never know. Um, Additionally, we had a head coaching hire. The Carolina Panthers hired Frank Reich as their head coach. Fun fact, I didn't know. Uh, Frank Reich threw the first passing touchdown in the history of the Carolina Panthers. Seen this clip floating around like crazy. There's also a photo of him pregame where he really looked like Michael Scott, which I didn't see the resemblance nowadays, but at one point, I mean, you could certainly make the argument. I I definitely see it. But uh, not a bad hire, I would say. But at the end of the day, I mean, I like the idea of a cooling-off period for a head coach or somebody who is fired at least to take some time off and reevaluate and things like that. Perhaps 
the Panthers were won over in the interview process. Maybe Reich said, hey, I didn't want Wentz. They gave me Wentz. I didn't want Ryan. They gave me Ryan. They both didn't play great. It would be hard to argue with that. Um, however, the last guy that was coaching the Carolina Panthers got Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. And, I mean, would you rather have Darnold and Mayfield or Wentz and Ryan? I don't know. I guess it just depends what your budget is, right? Realistically, neither one of them was an elite-level QB. Baker at one point was, oh, Baker's going to be pretty darn good. And Matt Ryan was, well, let's see what he's got left. Well, not as much as the Colts fan wanted is the answer to that question. So that'll bring us to the end of the coaching carousel wrap-up. And number six, I just wanted to throw this in here, yeah? So we're switching sports. We always do this, and I know some of you love it probably, some of you probably hate it. So the owner of... The Colorado Rockies, Dick Monfort, said that he believes, and this is the quote, by the way, I think we can play 500 ball, speaking in Greeley at the Breakfast of Champions event. Colorado Rockies, not a great team, in a great division. They've got to compete with the Dodgers. They've got to compete with the Padres. They've got to compete with, potentially, San Francisco, who almost signed a bunch of free agents but wound up with none of them. And, oh, by the way, they won 100 games a few years ago. Diamondbacks had a spurt towards the tail end of the year, so it's a strong division. Now, people are kind of ripping Dick Monfort for saying this, and they're ripping him apart, saying about, you know, aiming for the stars and this, that, and the third. I think that is completely wrong, and here's why. What do we preach on this show? If you've been around a while, you know what I'm going to say. If you haven't, I'll fill you in. Being realistic with your expectations. At the end of the day, going into a season, an executive, a coach, a player, you need to be realistic with what you're expecting. If you're, you know, the starting quarterback, and last year you threw 23 touchdowns, and you say, I want to get to 35 this year. It might not be the most realistic, but you know, if we you know, added to the receiving core and the line got a little better. Maybe you missed a game or two. Okay, we'll see where you can do that. The players should be optimistic. They should want to win it all. The coaches should preach optimism, right? The owner and the front office and the coach behind closed doors, realistically, you know what this team is, right? Lovey Smith knew when he walked into the Houston Texans locker room after being given a Houston Texans t-shirt He knew that team was not going anywhere. They weren't. However, the counter to my own point here would be somebody like Brian Dable or Doug Peterson or Dan Campbell, and they walk in and they go, we're going to overachieve. We're going to work hard, work hard, work hard, and it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks. Fair enough. But 75% of the time, the people that make those projections, the people that make those predictions are right. The teams that are bad wind up bad. I mean, you take a look at the NFL standings to end the season, right? Let's take a look. The Jets won seven games. Good for them. The Jets came in last. Beginning of the year, would you have bet on the Jets to come in last? Probably. Broncos came in last. That surprised people. It did. It truly did. But you look at the beginning of the year, I was high on the Chargers. I wasn't as high on the Chiefs. I was high on the Raiders. Wouldn't have shocked me. Who came in last in the North? The Browns, who didn't have their quarterback for most of the year. Does that shock you? Doesn't shock me. 
Texans in last. Oh, yeah, we know. NFC East. The Commanders came in last, barely behind the Giants. Yeah, that sounds about right. NFC West. Cardinals came in last. Yeah, that's a surprising one. I'll give you that one. Seattle overachieved. NFC North. The Bears came in last. Yeah, that sounds about right. Matt Eberflus trying to install the new system. Justin Fields progressing. Okay. NFC South. Three-way tie for last. Would that have shocked anyone? Granted, Tampa Bay underachieving certainly would have. Three-way tie for last? It's not unheard of, right? The majority of playoff teams are easy to predict from day one, and that's why it's not, you know, toot-your-own-horn thing, right? Like I talked about before, I went 10-0 and from those first predictions. I mean, I'm picking chalk, right? Take a look at who's in the NFC title game. The Chiefs are a one seed. The Bengals are a three. The Eagles are a one seed. The Niners are a two. Like, what are we doing? Of course, 10-0, right? Of course. So it comes back to the point I was trying to make and the point I've made over and over again. I don't have a problem with the owner being completely honest. Do I have a problem with him saying it in a spot where it'll be publicized? Yeah, I probably do. However, did he say it in a setting that he thought was perhaps private and that someone leaked it? I don't know. I don't know the full details. I'll be honest with you. But I think somebody going into interview to be the head coach of the Houston Texans should not tell the owner, we're going to shock the world and win 11 games. Because if we're being honest, they should laugh at you. They hope you're right. Everyone hopes you're right. You hire a physical trainer and they tell you, with it, excuse me, a personal tra- physical trainer, really? You hire a personal trainer at the gym and they tell you within six months you're going to be in the best shape of your life. You hope so, but be honest with yourself. If you had the dedication or this, that, and the third to get that done in six months, you could have did it in the last couple of years, right? Just be honest here. Honesty is the best policy. It always was. I remember, and I won't say the team. I did a job interview for a position in broadcasting. I'll leave it as vague as possible. Broadcasting assistant. This was uh, fresh out of college, which is not too long ago for me. Though it feels like it because of how the last few years have... Well, you know. Um, They asked me, so what do you think of the team? Team was, uh, you know... I'll give you this one. It was a baseball team, right? Under 500 the last handful of years. They had a decent crop of prospects that people had talked about, but they weren't ready yet. So I said, well, I'm excited to see how the prospects develop, but if I'm being frank with you, and it's my job to be honest, I'm not going to approach this job any differently as I approach my everyday life, I'm not going to go out and bet my salary that we're going to surprise the world and win the World Series. That's not the point of this season. Now, I'm not the GM, right? Never will be. Never will get the opportunity to be a general manager, nor do I necessarily want it, obviously. But I'm just being honest with you. I mean, what, are you going to ask me, oh, you think we can win it all? And I'll say, oh, yeah. And when you're 20 games out of first place in July, what do you want me to say? Man, I thought it was our year. Do you think Lovey Smith walked into his end-of-year meeting with the front office and or the owner and said, man, I really thought we had them, guys? No, no, you didn't. You couldn't have possibly thought you had them. This isn't Madden, right? Where you can walk in 
and look at the Chicago Bears roster and be like, mm, Fields, okay, we can run a whole bunch of read option shenanigans. We'll sign some free agents and it'll just magically work. No, this is real life. Sometimes you can have a Brian Dayball situation where things happen to click and you can just sneak into that postseason spot, right? Sometimes you should be happy being Dan Campbell and almost getting to that spot. Other times, you're Lovey Smith. Other times, you're Mike Vrabel, defending division champion. And you go out there, and you're the one that gets shocked. And, you know, predicting human behavior and outcomes involving people is, I mean, the most challenging thing you could do realistically in terms of if you were a gambler or something like that. There's a reason why they say, what, the pros are only 5 to 10% better than the average Joes on gambling certain things and win rates. Um, but the crux of this, like I said before, don't rip a guy for being honest. I can appreciate that the owner of the Colorado Rockies looks at his roster and goes, yeah, maybe we'll play 500 ball. Maybe. Because, you know, it may trickle down and it may not be great for the players to hear, but look in the mirror, guys. You're in the division with the Dodgers and the Padres. If you win 85 games... People will say you had a great year, and it will be true. Just like they said about the Baltimore Orioles in the competitive AL East. Football comp would be, look at the Commanders. Commanders went out there and had a pretty good year. Detroit Lions? Detroit Lions went out there and had a great year. Overachieved. Right? Wasn't in their hands at the end of the year. They did what they had to do, just needed a little bit more help. Okay. It is what it is. One more note here before we move on to the pick'em portion of this week's episode. My favorite part, your favorite part of the show. I saw this weird note from Adam Schefter, and I'll read you the whole post. Broncos owner Greg Penner and University of Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh met in Ann Arbor last week to discuss their head coaching position without any deal materializing, sources told ESPN. Although Harbaugh two weeks ago announced he was staying at Michigan, Penner did his due diligence and still traveled to Ann Arbor to meet with Coach in person, like he's done with seven other candidates during the Broncos' head coaching search. The follow-up conversations were part of the process for both Denver, led by Penner, with General Manager George Patton, and Harbaugh. The face-to-face meeting came after Harbaugh's initial video interview with Denver, after which he pulled his name out of contention and reaffirmed his commitment to Michigan. I love the relationships I have in Michigan. Coaches, staff, families, administration, President Santa Ono, and especially the players and their families, Harbaugh said in his statement on January 16th. My heart is at the University of Michigan. I once heard a wise man say, don't try to out happy happy. Go blue. Okay. Um, And the comments mirrored some of the sentiments I'm going to say here. Like, why is that news? Like, I get it. You know, Adam Schefter's doing his job. I'm not ripping Adam Schefter. He's one of the best reporters in football. Right? One of the best. Diligent, hardworking, tremendous. Not knocking Schefter. But realistically, I mean, the guy told the owner and or the front office, whoever he told explicitly, we don't know who it was man-to-man, told him explicitly, I am not in contention. I don't want the job. The owner still went to Michigan and said, hey, Jim, can we have lunch? Can we have a meeting? And he said, okay. I don't want the job, but I'll take the meeting. I think I can respect that. I I don't think any of the higher-ups at the University of Michigan should be angry about that or even realistically 
have any kind of reaction to that. And who knows what was said there. Maybe they said, what could we have done to win you over? You know, in, in two years, if we come calling, what would we have done? If there was this team came calling you, would you have been interested? Are you, are you unhappy with the Russell Wilson thing? Would you have not wanted Russell Wilson? What would you have done? How would you approach this free agency? It's realistically questions you could ask. Like I said, I was interviewing for a position as a nobody, fresh out of college, and they asked me, what do you think of the team? I'm not saying that input meant anything to anyone, but you can ask. I did some work in scouting, briefly, pre-pandemic, which kind of derailed that. And they asked me, prior to my first day, this was baseball scouting, um, who would you have signed in the crop of MLB free agents? Who do you think was overvalued? Who do you think was undervalued? Does that information go to anywhere? Does Brian Cashman buy a stack of those reports from the place I was working? Maybe. I doubt it. But you never know. My point is, what's the big deal? Getting an outside perspective is commendable, I would say. I'm not saying it's a huge deal. I'm not saying it shows that it's the best-run organization in the league or anything like that. But what's the problem with getting an outside perspective from a guy who knows football? Why not? Anyway, just wanted to get that in there. We had a couple of off-topics that really took up our time here, but you know what? That's completely fine. That's the way it is. And we only got two games to pick, folks. So we're going to get right in to the pick'em portion. That'll conclude the standout seven, obviously. We'll get into the pick'em portion of this week's episode, and we'll have the internal dialogue in my head competing with the picks that I made at the beginning of the postseason and the picks that I am going to make right now. Our first game, 3 p.m. on Fox. 49ers heading to Philly. Lincoln Financial Field is going to be a zoo when the Eagles take the field, the one seed in the NFC, taking on the two seed. Niners obviously going to be without Jimmy Garoppolo with a foot injury. Questionable. Running back Elijah Mitchell with a groin and corner Ambry Thomas with an ankle. Eagles listing no one. Non-applicable on the injury report per NFL.com. I'm conflicted because if you ask me this question after seeing the wild card games, I would say, well, I'm on San Francisco. Then I just watched the Philadelphia Eagles look like the Philadelphia Eagles. And they beat down the Giants. And I think Philly is better than Dallas at a litany of things. So if San Francisco was only able to put up 19, it's going to be interesting to see how many they can put up and if they can keep up and or stop this Eagles offense that was clicking, clicking, clicking earlier in the year. I'm going to stand by my pick from before. I'm going to say that somehow, some way, Kyle Shanahan is going to scheme Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle into another Super Bowl berth because he's... I think they're too intelligent of an offense. Too intelligent of an offensive staff, I should say. To have the best crayons in the box and not color something well. Right? And that's not knocking the Philadelphia Eagles. Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback of the two. I'll readily admit that. But I don't think anyone's going to argue that Christian McCaffrey is a better running back than Miles Sanders. Debo Samuel is an elite weapon. A.J. Brown, great receiver. Devontae Smith, great receiver. I don't know, man. 
I might flip my pick. I, I think I will. I was just I just announced it, but you know what? I'm I'm flipping it. I like Bro- Brock Purdy. I like San Francisco. I think Philly's defense is better than San Francisco's defense. They were near top, or if not the top in the league in sacks. Brock Purdy's not super elusive. If they couldn't do it against Dallas, I don't know if they'll be able to do it against Philly. I'm flipping the pick, folks. I'm going with the Eagles. Give me the Eagles to win at home and advance to the Super Bowl in a few weeks. Next, the AFC Championship game, 6.30 p.m. on CBS. The Bengals travel to Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs. Bengals going to be without their guard, Alex Capo, with an ankle injury, and offensive lineman Jonah Williams with a knee. Questionable for the Chiefs, three, two big ones. No, excuse me, just one big one. Mahomes is not listed. Mecole Hardman may return for this game with a pelvis injury. Wide receiver Justin Watson battling an illness as well. And tight end Travis Kelsey with a back injury. Now, I may remind you, I picked Niners-Chiefs rematch with the Niners winning. I'm flipping. I'd say this. The Chiefs against anyone that is a human football team, it would not shock me if the Chiefs won. Just like it wouldn't shock me if the Bengals won, really, any of these four teams, if we're being completely honest. But the Bengals have had the Chiefs number three in a row. They came back on this very field. And you're telling me, facing a Mahomes that is hobbled, Travis Kelsey apparently now battling through this back injury, this team does not have Tyreek Hill like the team that they played last year. You're telling me that the Chiefs are going to pull it off in this game. I told you, I'm talking to past me, I told myself two weeks ago that very thing was going to happen. I think the Mahomes injury is that big of a factor. I truly do. And he got rolled up on by, I believe it was a D-end or an outside linebacker for the Jaguars. I don't think it was necessarily a dirty play. I mean, he just fell on him. It's just one of those things that happens on the football field. But he was not the same in terms of mobility. Will they give him a shot for it? Cortisone in the ankle or something? In the lower leg? I don't know. But I think that I'm going to flip it too. I'm going to flip both of my championship game picks in one week. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals pulling off the, I mean, it's an upset by seeding, but realistically, I don't think this one's an upset. I think they're going to pull away with the victory at Arrowhead and advance to take on the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl. It's uh, it's a bizarre one, folks. You know, I, I really, I know no one likes to flip picks or any of that stuff. It doesn't really matter. It's just me and you guys talking right now, right? But the Mahomes injury makes me a little weary. Not to mention, I mean, Jacksonville played them close. Cincinnati is much better than Jacksonville, I would say. Like I said on the other side, San Francisco played close with Dallas. Philly's better than Dallas. I mean, Minshew almost beat Dallas, right? I'm going to have the Eagles play in the Bengals on February the 12th, and we'll be breaking down both of these championship games come next weekend.
That'll do it for this week's episode, folks. Episode number 160 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. Hope you all enjoyed. Like I said, as we get deeper in the postseason, there's realistically, there's less games to talk about. we got to fill it with a little bit more off-the-field stuff. We're talking about Colorado Rockies owners. We're talking about coaching. We're talking about shenanigans. Hope you all enjoyed. And if you did, join us again next weekend. Episode 161 will break down the championship games. We'll talk end-of-year awards. Maybe we'll talk a little Pro Bowl. Maybe. I doubt it. Usually I give my yearly rant about how it's just not great. But they changed it this year. It's flag football this year. Maybe I won't do that rant. I probably will. If you want to hear it, tune in. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.